Mr. Rogers was so kind, and, and, I, and I mean kind, and I'm using it like not just nice, I mean he was so kind because of the way that he communicated to children and how he was so concerned with how they dealt with things that were real in their life, like, like truth and how to handle that and how to express themselves in the midst of things that they were feeling, sometimes feelings that are too big for us to know how to express. And that's one of the things that we've been trying to accomplish as we've been going through uh, the sermon series, is that one of the things that, that I know is, is the case, because my dad taught me this really early on in life, is that for all of us, our perception is our reality. And you, you guys, I think most of us know what that means. Even if we don't, like, couldn't define it, we would know what that looks like in our lives, that how we, the story that we tell ourselves about people or places or situations, like those are the things that buy in, that we buy into and cause us to live and react in the way that we do to those people and those places and those situations. Um, We'll say things, for example, like don't judge a book by its cover, but it's also the, the one thing that keeps us from the singularity, right? It, it keeps us separate from the machines to be able to take information and, and maybe cues or miscues socially and, and um, uh, things that we wouldn't necessarily as associate with the situation that we're in and, and put that together and come up with some sort of assessment of what we're going through or what kind of interaction we're having with another person. Um, it's, it's important also to know, though, that we're pretty fallible at that when we do those things, that not every time does our perception actually equate with reality. And maybe you've had this experience because maybe you've had some people that have had some kind of interesting theories about you before, before they got to know you. I know this happened to me, but I also know that I've been on the giving end of that. One of my best friends right now, uh, someone who is closer than a brother to me, he, when I first met him, I thought he was a cocky punk. And, and he was a high school senior, so he probably was at that time. I don't, I don't really remember that. But now he's one of the closest people I, that's in my, my life. And it came from this really complicated process that I implemented in my life, and it was called getting to know him. <laughs> and so we had conversations, uh, which, was, which is interesting. That's a thing I think that's helpful sometimes. We had shared experiences, and that made all the difference. And this is coming, just so you know, this is coming from someone who regularly struggles with cynicism and, and seeing how people tend to interact with each other and treat each other and sometimes the distance, the gap there is between how God calls us to interact with each other and, and how we actually, actually do that. But one of the things that I know um, that is so important about how we interact with each other and even how we think about a relationship with God is that the way that we ascribe intentions to the other party has so much to do with how we experience that relationship that we share with that person. I mean, most of the time we want everybody to assume positively about us, right? But we don't necessarily extend the same thing to other people. And so as we talk about this final lie that we believe in the sermon series, it has something very much to do with our relationship with God. And this isn't a desirable lie that we want to believe, but it's something that creeps into our lives and how it affects how we view our relationship with God. And my prayer is that as we've talked about these lies that we believe, that like four of them are not an exhaustive list. There are plenty more that we could, we could have talked about. My prayer is that we've gained a sense of how transformative the truth can be to our thinking, and that when we act upon what's true and not just our perception of what's true, um, that it changes our lives as disciples of Jesus. Soren Kierkegaard, in Words of Love, uh, wrote this. There are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. 
The other is to refuse to believe what is true. And this final lie that we're addressing gets at the heart of uh, not something, like I said before, that we desire to be true, but it's at the root of a fear that tempts us, that creeps into our relationship with God. And the lie is that God doesn't hear me. And just to be clear about this up front, like if you have felt this way or maybe you currently feel this way right now in your relationship with God, this is not about feeling guilt or shame for having that, uh, that feeling. But I believe if we clear up some of the reasons why we feel this way and what truths free us up to understand what communion with God through prayer looks like, even when we feel like God isn't listening, we'll be able to recognize that feeling for what it is rather than what it represents. Like Mr. Rogers says, like he sings, like he serenaded us with this morning, it's important that we acknowledge how we're actually feeling so that we can move toward the truth. But the next step is then to recognize that our perception in that moment does not necessarily dictate reality. Because what it should do, it should lead us to the author of truth. From that point forward, which is Jesus, it helps us move from the feeling of the moment into life-giving discipleship and relationship with God. There's a song that David wrote in Psalm chapter 22 that I think perfectly sums this up and explains and illustrates what this looks like. Um, we're going to read through the first five verses of the psalm, but I want to encourage you at some point this week, maybe later today, to read the entire psalm uh, for yourself. And, and actually, you could tack on Psalm 23 as well, particularly if you've ever felt like God hasn't heard your prayer, or maybe if you feel right now like God isn't hearing you or isn't listening or responding, if you're struggling with that, I want to encourage you to read all of this. Uh, but we're going to read through the first five verses of Psalm chapter 22. And just so you know, we're going to take a couple strategic pauses through the text as well, all right? So Psalm chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. From the director of music to the tune of the doe of the morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Now, for some of you, maybe you've felt this way, but you've never thought of actually like beginning a prayer in, in your life in this way, and you may be surprised to find that there are prayers and there are songs that sound like this in the Bible. It's like, oh man, I thought this was just like, just about love and grace and mercy, happy-go-lucky. Uh, like I'm pretty sure whatever the tune of the doe of the morning is, it's not like a happy-go-lucky ditty. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking maybe it's more like a dirge or something like, something like that. It's probably not all that, uh, all that pleasant maybe uh, of a thought. And as David is writing these words, he's simply being honest about what he feels like in this moment. And he has plenty of moments in his, in his life to have felt this way. Uh, David has been uh, on the run for his life. He's been in war. He's murdered someone. He's lost a child. He's had another child depose him and try to kill him. And so there are plenty of times where he probably felt like this, like near-death experience, as though God had abandoned him in his life. And rather than ignore or try to suppress his feelings, David speaks to God openly and honestly about what's causing this tension in his heart and mind and his soul. And as we'll see here in a minute, while David seems to be declaring the reality of how God is treating him in his life, that God has forsaken him, that he's far, that he isn't listening or answering, he's in fact just sharing his perception in those moments. And there's nothing wrong with that in our conversation with God. In fact, I think it's a healthy thing that we take part in because God already knows our heart. 
But when we don't communicate the truth of what we're feeling and what we're going through in our relationship with him, we're really just concealing the truth from ourselves. If you're feeling that God is not listening or that he's far, let that be reflected in your prayer life because it is indicative of the reality that you're living in right now in your relationship with him. And that would be the first indicator as to whether or not what you're feeling is grounded in the reality that we know to be true about God. And here's what I mean by that. We keep reading David's words, we get to verse three, and we see the word yet. And I wanna pause there. The reason the word yet is here reflected in, the, uh, in our translations is it's reflecting the sharp left turn in what David is about to say and represents his shift from his perception of what's going on in his life to the reality of who God is. David is saying, God, everything is crumbling down around me, yet. Everything that I feel that I need from you is not happening, yet. My enemies are winning and I'm beaten down, yet. God, I'm not sure that I can survive this, yet. Yet, David says, you're enthroned as the Holy One, you are the one Israel praises. And so David acknowledges in this place that he feels unheard, and yet God is sovereign, and that he continues to worthily, worthily receive the praises of his people. And David simply states the truth, God, you're God. I'm not, I don't know what's going on in this situation. I don't have the, the wealth of, of knowledge and your foreknowledge that, that you have, but you are God and I'm gonna honor you in your place as such. Stop there though, and that can leave hope feeling just a little bit, of di a little distant. And maybe you've gone through something before and you've had some well-meaning uh, follower of Jesus let, let you know, say, hey, you just, you just need to know God is God and you just need to get over it. <laughs> You know, like just kind of move, move past that uh, because God's on his throne and it's fine. And, and when that happens, and, and look, like I've, I've been there in places in my life where I, where I felt like, okay, I just need to remember God is God and, and move on from there. And, and maybe hope still seems a little distant in, in those moments when we're told that. Um, I've, I've seen fellow Christians stuck there before, including myself. And when we're in those moments, we can feel disconnected from what God desires for our relationship to be. When, when you're moving through feeling ignored, God being on his throne may not feel like it's enough. But that's when we need to be reminded that he doesn't stay there. That's because of who he is as the only one worthy to hold his position that we can trust that he hears us because of, of what he does, not just who he is. David continues on in verses 4 and 5. And he says this, In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. And so David ultimately acknowledges that God has a proven track record in these matters. That even though he feels unheard, even though he feels like God is far, he knows that this is not true because of who God is, the position he holds, and what he does with that position. Every time God's people trust him, they're delivered. Every time God's people cried out, they were saved. And when they trusted, and then when they trusted God, they weren't left in a position to feel shame for having done so. And David identifies his perception that is clouding the reality that exchanges this lie that God doesn't hear me for the truth that God is always listening and God is always responding. That's just a part of his character and nature. That's who he is, and it's reflected for us throughout Scripture. And before you say, yeah, that's not true for me, 
Let me give you one really important question uh, that all of us need to be reminded of and to ask ourselves when it comes to these moments that we feel like God isn't listening to what we're praying for. And I would encourage you to ask this, this self-assessment question. Am I equating God responding with getting the response I want? Because sometimes that's the thing that clouds our perception of whether or not God is actually active in our life, if he's actually hearing and he's actually responding to what what we want. Because uh, God's response doesn't just have to be what we want in that matter. In fact, sometimes it's better when it's not. uh, God's responses uh, to prayer are this. They're either no, yes, wait, or here's a bonus one for you, I've got this. We'll talk about each of these uh, just, just briefly. Um, and we'll start with the bad news first because we usually equate no with being the response that we don't want from God. Uh, but that's a mistake. For example, when we pray for a relationship that wouldn't be good for us, or we pray for opportunities that would take us away from God's will, things that would harm our relationship with him, it's God's grace and mercy that the answer is no. And sometimes it's because of God wanting the best for us because he loves and cares for us so deeply that he wants to see and give us, he wants us to see us experience the relationship that he desires, that he desires us to give us, to give us good gifts, that he says no. Um, there are also some ways in which we can guarantee that God's response is no. I didn't, I didn't know if you knew that there are guaranteed answers to, to certain prayers, uh, but there are. When it comes to pride, and selfishness, and a lack of trust, and holding on to sin in our life, and those drive our prayers. These are guaranteed ways to exclude God from our communication because they place us into a negative feedback loop that doesn't allow us to grow beyond ourselves and into the relationship he desires with us. In Psalm chapter 66, verses 16 through 20, we read this. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth, his praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Sometimes the response from God is no, and sometimes it's because it's God's best for us. And sometimes that no is because we're living our lives without care for what his response would be anyway. And so just because you're not receiving the answer that you want doesn't mean that God isn't responding and that he isn't responding in the best way possible. Then there's the yes. The yes response is interesting because it seems like that would be the most favorable thing because we all pray perfect prayers, right? We always pray for the right thing. We always know exactly what words to say and we always know what's best for us in our lives. That's why we're all so perfect. That's why we're here this morning, right? The place where only perfect people are allowed. Says so. When, oh, right. It doesn't say that on our sign. It's here's the other thing that's really interesting about the yes response is that not only do we not pray perfect prayers, and not only are we not perfect people, it's also really easy to not pray prayers that we don't want God to say yes to to begin with. Let me give you some examples that will make all of us a little nervous. Dear God, do you want me to sell what I have and give to the poor? Like that rich guy that Jesus told to do that? I like the nervous little chuckling through, through the crowd for that, right? My whole palms are a little sweaty. Uh, dear God, you, do you want me to go overseas and tell people about Jesus? Don't pray that one. Dear God, do you want me to be a pastor, right? Yeah, it's like, we, yeah, whoa, yeah, easy, buddy. Let's, let's not get crazy. 
Dear God, did you really mean for me to love my enemies? Did you, Jesus, you didn't really mean that, right? Dear God, do you really expect me to stick out like a sore thumb because my family prioritizes a relationship with you over any other personal or cultural expectations? Like there, there's some great prayers that we can ignore because we might not want God to say yes to. And just like we can guarantee a no from God, though, we can also guarantee a yes as well in some pretty important areas of our lives. In 1 John 5, chapter, uh, verses 13 through 15, John writes these things to fellow believers who believe in the name of the Son of God so that they may know that they have eternal life. Verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. I may have skipped a few words. Did I? Tiny, you got me? All right. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. As we increase in our communion with God through prayer and as we grow in understanding of what God has already communicated to us about the relationship he desires with us through the Bible, through godly counsel, through our communal experience of faith, through other godly Christians, um, our prayer life matures and grows from being request-driven. And, and by that, listen, requests of God are an important part of a healthy prayer life, and so I'm not discounting that, but, but moving from primarily and purely being requ request-driven to his will-driven. So that the more that we know and understand who God is and the life that he calls us to live, the more our prayer life and what we desire to see happen in our lives is much closer to the heart he has for us and the life that we experience. So that what we ask for when we do have requests are consistent with what God reveals about himself to us. And so much about God and guaranteeing that yes about what is put into place in our life has everything to do with the heart change, the transformative faith that he desires for us that draws us closer to desiring what he wants to see in our life, every bit as much as what we want to see in our life. And then there's the wait answer. Intellectually, I think we might know that God's timing is not our timing, but oh, if we could be so perfectly in sync with the knowledge of his timing, maybe we could experience more peace, or maybe we'd be happier. Subconsciously, I think we all think that if God let us in on what was happening and what was to come in our lives, um, and, and so even in the waiting, we knew exactly why or what was going to happen and all those kinds of things that we'd be able to handle the information. And I'm, I'm not convinced that that's true. At least I know for me that there are plenty of moments in my life uh, where I was waiting that I would never have picked those moments to be waiting in, in my life. And yet if I knew why I was waiting and what was coming and what was happening, I, I never would have decided for myself to go through those moments. Yet in the place that I am now, if I hadn't gone through those times of waiting and wondering what was happening, that God, you know, not knowing where he was leading me, um, then I would be so much worse off now. Because those are things that I wouldn't have, experiences that I wouldn't have cho chosen for myself. And yet I would be wor the worse off for it. I'd, I'd have much less of an ability to help other people. I wouldn't be able to communicate uh, about who God is and what he's done in my life nearly as, as much as, as, I, as I do now. And, and so much of those areas in our life, uh, we think 
that waiting would be, you know, not having to wait on God would be so much better. And yet those are the best opportunities for our faith to grow and to become transformative in our life. Without waiting, it would be so much easier to repeat the same mistakes over and over and over again and not learn from them, to pause and reflect and evaluate and think about what God is calling us to. Um, growing into the person God has called for us to be, some of, the, some of those moments of waiting are the best places for that to happen in our life. And even when we don't know what's going on, and even when those waiting moments feel like they're the weakest for us, God has even already planned for that in our waiting. In Romans chapter 8, verses 25 through 27, Paul writes, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And then finally, here's the bonus answer that we all need reminding of, and the bonus answer is, I've got this. Um, and that's a response that we can always count on from God. Like even alongside of the yes, the no, and the wait, uh, this is the response that undergirds all of those responses. In 1 John chapter 3, um, John describes what this looks like in our, in our faith journeys. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. We know our perception is reflecting God's reality from believing and living that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. What God has said is true for us through Jesus gives our hearts rest from ever feeling unheard, from ever feeling that God is too far away, from ever feeling that he is not worthy of our trust, from ever feeling like there is not hope in the waiting. Don't get sucked in by the lie that God doesn't hear me. God is always listening, and while we play a part in his responses to us, ultimately our life clothed with Jesus means that regardless of what happens, regardless of our ability to understand life's complexities and how God is moving, he's got it. And so to that end, I edited Psalm uh, chapter 22, verses 4 through 5, uh, with our own little paraphrase that we can proclaim. In God I put my trust, I trust, and God delivers me. To God I cry out, and I am saved. In God I trust, and I am not disappointed. And I think the thing that illustrates how we apply this into our life the most perfectly is looking back at Psalm chapter 22, verse 1, and that first line, and seeing that that phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the same thing that we hear Jesus say on the cross. And what that reflects for us is this, is that when Jesus was on the cross, all the things that keep us separated from God, all the things that would keep us um, distant from him, Jesus takes on himself so that we can be redeemed and reconciled to God 
so that not only is God not far, but his presence indwells us. No matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, not only does God hear us, God is listening and responding, and he's guiding us through the Holy Spirit. And that's how he treats our relationship with him. And so as we prepare to take communion uh, together this morning, and we celebrate communion every week at Velocity uh, together, we, we do so coming to this foundation for why we can trust in God's truth versus the lies we're tempted to believe um, through all the distractions that we have, uh, through our own sin, through the sin done against us through other people, uh, through things that we're tempted tempted to, to believe the enemy wants us to buy into these lies because it keeps us uh, distant from, from who God is and his character and his nature and how it's reflected in the life that he calls us to live and to experience with him. So as we, as we take communion together, as we finish up this, this sermon series, I, I just want to encourage you um, to, to be encouraged, knowing that God is, is always there. He's always ready to be in communion with us in relationship with us, and he's always responding um, to what we need uh, through his will. And ultimately, the foundation of that is Jesus. Let's pray as we share in this time together this morning. God, as we, um, as we move into this time of, of focusing exclusively on what you've done through Jesus on the cross, God, we thank you for this good news. We thank you for this gospel that, that changes how we experience everything that happens in our life. God, that every, everything as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, um, regardless of what, what happens, and regardless of how we feel, regardless of how we perceive what's going on in our lives, that, um, that all of those things are filtered through the cross. And as a result of that, we, you are never distant. You are never far. And God, we praise you and we thank you for that. It's with gratefulness that we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.